wonder if you turn with me to Acts chapter 6, please. If you have your Bibles with you, Acts chapter 6. And we're going to be looking from verse 1, reading through to verse... Mm. probably verse 10, Acts chapter 6. By the way, it's great to have Alex and Tanya back with us. I wasn't here last week, so I couldn't welcome you back. So I'll welcome you back today. Hopefully we'll be able to hear a little bit about how the work's gone at some point within the next couple of weeks. Or have you, did, did you do that? Or Oh, thank you. And it's the Oxford meeting next Saturday. So if you want to hear, presumably you'll share a little bit. If you want to, sh- want to hear about... Um, the work that is going on currently in Uganda um, that Alex and Tanya have been involved with. They've been away for uh, 10 days, two weeks? Two weeks, yeah. Um, Ministering to pastors and leaders and the congregations out there. If you want to hear about that work that's going on, just to mention that the Oxted meeting is on this coming Saturday at 6 o'clock normally, isn't it? So, yeah. So please do, if you're able to make it, please do join Alex and Tanya, and hear about what the Lord's doing. You know, it's good to get sometimes a perspective away from ourselves and hear what the Lord's doing in different places, isn't it? We heard a couple of weeks ago about what the Lord's doing in the Niger Delta with the work of new foundations, and it's good for us to be able to hear about the work that Alex and Tanya have been involved with in Uganda, and God willing, we'll be able to share not only at Oxted, but here at some point, Alex, if that's all right, give us an update and share whatever's on your heart about the work, and then we can pray for you as well. That would be great. Praise the Lord. Well, that should have given you enough time to find Acts chapter 6, and I'm reading from verse (coughs) 1. Excuse me. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parimenes, and Nicolas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, and the Cyrenians, and the Alexandrians, and of them Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they Stubborn men, which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses, which said, This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered to us. 
And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Let's have a further word of prayer, shall we? Lord, we thank you for your holy word. We praise you that your word is written. We thank you that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And we thank you that it is, it is full of life. And we ask that, Lord, you would cause the living word to affect our hearts this morning. We pray that you deliver us from merely a sermonette. But, Lord, you would give us life-giving bread. That you would nourish us with the living word. And that your spirit would come upon us. And we would know conviction and life and encouragement. You have a word of knowledge for somebody, Lord. Give us faith. Lord, for coming into all that you have for us, for speaking and for hearing. And we pray that, Lord, you would deliver us from every distraction and while of the enemy to get our minds away from the word of God. And so that, so, that seed that is sown is snatched away from us. Lord, deliver us from that, we pray. Guard what you entrust to us, we ask, Lord, and help us to guard it. And we pray that we may learn of you now by your Spirit, that your anointing will be on my speaking and upon all our hearing. We pray for your enabling in this, and we trust you for it. Lord, by faith we stand into that anointing now, and we ask for your ability in this time. May God have all the glory out of this time, we ask, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. It was a few weeks ago now that I initially focused on verse 4 of chapter 6, which again says, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. But the last time I spoke, I felt to bring something of the importance of the presence of God in our meetings. And therefore, it's been a few weeks indeed since I last spoke particularly on this verse. The last time I spoke on this verse, I focused on, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer. That was the focus of, of, of the message and the burden of it. But today, the burden of the message is that we will give ourselves continually to the ministry of the word. And so hopefully, by God's grace, we will look a little more into what that actually means. But by way of reminder and backdrop, I wonder if we might go back just to the beginning of verse 1 and look at the situation that the disciples found themselves in coming up to verse 6. Let's take them individually. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. There was a neglect on, the, on behalf of some of the, the, the widows who were due to receive their own portion of substance, literal food, and unfortunately they were being missed out. And the situation is, of course, seriously serious. There's a lacking in some area. And when there's a lacking in some area, it needs to be addressed, doesn't it? And right away we see the disciples addressing a situation where there is a lack. And uh, dear brothers and sisters, there's going to be times where there's areas in church life where there's a lack. And we need to know how to handle that and ask the Lord for his wisdom in how that lack might be filled up. Because God is in the business of meeting the needs of his people, isn't he? And God wants there to be a wholeness, a soundness, a completeness about us. Indeed, we are complete in the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus wants us to know his fullness in us. And that's the nature of the body of Christ. His fullness. The fullness of him that filleth all in all. The Lord Jesus fills all things. 
Ultimately, there's coming a day when all things will be summed up in Christ. But there is a day now where his fullness is to be experienced in a certain place, and it's called the church. And the Lord wants his life manifest amongst us. But if one member lacks, if one member is not functioning properly, if one member isn't part of the body actively, in the role that God has given them for the church, the church is the one that lacks. The church is the one that goes without. And so it behoves us to realize, dear friends, the body of Christ, we sometimes think of the church as the, the leadership being separate from the congregation and the leaders are to do everything and the congregations are just to sit there listening to everything and to take everything in meekly. That is not the New Testament pattern for the church. God has a purpose for every one of us in the body of Christ. If only we could see it. If only we could realize it. And it's not that if your particular work within the body of Christ isn't seen, that it's less beneficial or it's not important, not at all. If we're not functioning together, if we lack in one area, our whole body is affected. If I have a pain in my foot, my whole body is going to be affected by that pain. If there's something with my foot that causes a limp, you can see by my physical reaction that I'm lacking in one particular area of my body. Well, dear friends, isn't it a place that as a church we've limped on for years, not realizing that God wants every one of us to function in the church according to his purpose? And part of the problem has been this jockeying for position, hasn't it? Haven't you seen it within the church? People just wanting that place of attention. And God has so strongly with our hearts over it. If we would let God deal strongly with us, every one of us, leaders, those who have a ministry which is more upfront, whatever it may be, if we all allowed God to deal with us, you wouldn't see anybody. You'd just see the Lord Jesus. And there wouldn't be any Christian superstars, which unfortunately, because of the immaturity within the church, we just raise up men and put them on pedestals. It's folly. It's the way the world acts. We treat Christian leaders as superstars. And it's to our detriment, isn't it? God wants all of us to be functioning together, to know our place within the body and to come into the fullness of that for his purpose. If there's a lack in any one of our lives, maybe in your personal life, you sense there's a lacking of receiving in a particular area, go to the Lord and say, Lord, please show me how to get through with you in this particular area. I'm feeling rather barren. I'm feeling rather unfruitful. Whatever it may be, go to the Lord. Certainly together as the church, if there's areas that we're lacking, it should be brought to our attention. It was brought to the disciples' attention, wasn't it? That there was a lacking in some area. And praise God, they didn't just say, we'll just get on with it. They dealt with the situation. May the Lord help us to deal with situations as he leads us by his spirit. Verse 2. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So secondly, notice that the twelve called the people of God together over this matter, and they first of all say, it's not right, 
It's not fitting that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, this is quite an interesting statement, and it should be something of an eye-opener for us. Because often we think, well, leaders should be leading by example, shouldn't they? So if the leaders led by example began serving on the tables, then people would generally join in and they would serve on the tables. After all, the Lord Jesus um, washed the disciples' feet, didn't he? So therefore, why are the disciples not doing a humble thing and turning aside to serve these dear widows? It almost appears to us to be a sort of, we're above that kind of attitude, which is nothing of the attitude of the disciples at all. What they were realizing is that they needed to be about the business that God had called them to. And if they'd left the word of God, how was the word of God to increase round about them? It would be stopped. And there was a real potential that this could have happened. The disciples had to confront the multitude and say, we shouldn't be doing this. This isn't our job. And then they have the wisdom of how to go about appointing others to take that job. But if they had decided that they were going to leave doing what they were doing and serve the tables, the widows would have been met with physically, no doubt. But what about the ministry of the Word of God? That would have been lost. And there would be no forward momentum of the gospel into the area of Jerusalem and beyond. And there is a very real um, danger for any one of us in the work of God. And I trust you're all in the work of God. And it's this. You can be doing what God has called you to do, but then you can see a very real need. And because you see a very real need in the church, you turn aside from what God has called you to do, and you begin to focus on the need. Well, it looks very good and very spiritual, but actually it's not what God wants you to do. The Lord will provide where there's a lack if the people of God will be faithful to their task. But if we turn aside out from the place that God has called us, we will find the area of fruitfulness will then become limited. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to get us out of the place of fruitfulness, out of the place where God can use us. And if the Lord has got a calling on your life, you know God has called you to do a certain thing. You have a particular uh, work to fulfill under the counsel of God. Be careful to not let a need that appears to be so important take priority over God's calling on your life. To obey is better than sacrifice. We must obey God rather than just make ourselves endlessly exhausted with our own natural work. We will give ourselves Paul goes on to say in verse 6, to the ministry of the word. And the word ministry means service. And therefore, he's saying, we cannot serve these widows. We must serve the Lord the way he's called us to, in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, in declaring the truth of the word of God. But, you know, this, we all have a propensity to be easily distracted. And if the enemy can't distract us, with something that is evil, he distracts us with something that appears good. It happens a lot. 
And the, the enemy wants to get you out of the place of fruitfulness, which is essentially you functioning in the calling to which you were called, in the calling of God. Think of the story of Mary and Martha. How often we bring this up. But Mary and Martha were both women that sat at the feet of the Lord Jesus. And you remember the story, I think it's in Luke 10, where the Lord Jesus comes to their house and it says that Martha was distracted with much serving. Do you know that word serving? Is actually the same word used in Acts chapter 6 verse 4 for ministry. You can be distracted with much ministry. <laughs> and the ministry will distract you from the work of God if you're not careful. We are, if it's not the ministry God has called you to, we need to be in the life flow of what God has called us. So Martha is distracted with much serving, and then she gets worn out. She's got lots of anxieties about her, which show us, dear friends, really, that her activity was probably rooted in her anxiety. And so often it is the case for us, isn't it? We do things because we're anxious and we're not coming from a position of faith. We're coming from a position of fear. And God wants us to be functioning our Christian life from the position of faith. For without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. In the book of Romans it says that anything that's apart from faith is of sin. So we need to make sure that we're functioning our Christian lives in the will of God and by faith laying hold of God for all he would have us come into. Not being those that are static, as it were, but those that are pressing on. Martha's distracted with his serving and the Lord exposes her heart and says, Martha, you are worried. You're troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Now, have you chosen the good part, or are you choosing to try to fill a need? To obey is better than sacrifice. And the disciples knew they had to stay in the work that God had called them. Are you in what God has called you to do? You know, also it can be that other Christians try to pull you to the left and the right. You've got to help me. You've got to be the one that, you know, this kind of thing. And we sort of see the need and we sort of think, oh, I suppose I better do that. And we can get wrapped up in somebody else's life in a way that will ultimately weary us to the point where we cannot be active in the Lord's service. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to wear you out. The work of the Lord will not wear you out. Now, that's an important lesson to, for us to learn. The work of God will not wear you out. In fact, the Lord Jesus says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Come unto me, I will give you rest. The Lord, that's what the Lord does. He gives you a rest. Even within the work, there's a rest within the work of God. Do you know it? Are you living in the good of that rest so that everything you do in active life comes out from a position of rest? It's from a place whereby you'll know the grace of God. 
when you're functioning in the will of God, in the purpose of God, there is the grace of God to be able to fulfill that work that God has called you to. The grace of God doesn't just mean God's unmerited favor. It speaks of God's enabling, God's strengthening. I think of what Paul says in the word of God. He said in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, something very significant about work. He said in verse 10, By the grace of God, I am what I am. Now, can you say that? Or are you the product of your own efforts? By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. In other words, I laid hold of it. (laughs) That's what the grace of God is there. The Lord will give grace, but faith receives it. You've got to lay hold of what God gives if somebody gives you a gift, if it's going to be operative in your, to your blessing, you've got to lay hold on it, haven't you? It's the same with grace. It's something to be laid hold of. But his grace, was, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Paul's saying, I labored more abundantly than all the other um, leaders. I was the one who was really laboring to the nth degree. And then he says this, Yet not I. So the measure of his labor, though greater than others, wasn't the result of his own efforts. He says, but the grace of God, which was with me. So if you want a greater expanding of your ministry and work with God, it has to come by means of the grace of God. Otherwise, you'll wear yourself out. We need to know the enabling of God in all that we do. It's only that work which is really wrought in God that will be found to be of gold, silver, and precious stones. Everything else will ultimately be burned up, even if it appears good. I fear how much work I've done will ultimately be burnt up Because it wasn't coming out from a place of union with God in the Lord Jesus. It's only through that union with God that true fruitfulness can come out. Abide in me. Abide in the vine. Abide in the Lord Jesus. Let his word abide in you. You abide in him. As you and I simply abide and dwell and remain under the Lord Jesus, the fruit will come. It has to. It's an irreversible spiritual law. You can't abide in Christ and be fruitless. (laughs) So we need to be joined to him and know his grace and his enabling in the work. But that grace and enabling will only be there for you, really, if you're functioning in the will of God. And if you're finding yourself striving and getting nowhere, and yet you're just worn out, and you sense there is just nothing of ability given to you from God. Go back to God and ask him, why is it? Could be opposition, but it could simply be that the work is something that you've taken on without the Lord's initiating. Unless the Lord builds a house, we labor in vain. Who build it? So that requires us for every step of growth and building to be those that are dependent on the Lord Jesus as our head. May the Lord help us. 
So back to um, Acts chapter 6, please, and coming back to this particular verse. It says that they gave themselves continually, verse uh, 4, to prayer and the ministry of the word. And having told the people that they must give themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word, the same pleased the whole multitude. Isn't that wonderful? The wisdom that the, the disciples had in saying to these uh, brethren, go and ask, uh, search out for yourself, seven men of reputable character, those who are honest, those who are filled with the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Appoint these over the business. The whole saying pleased the congregation. That's good, isn't it? There's a sense of oneness in this. Yes, this is the way we are to function. Because if we don't function together like this, the word of God will be hindered from being able to go forth. And as a body, we all want the word to go forth. That's the attitude our hearts should have. And actually, those with the ministry, entrusted with the ministry of the word, in teaching and preaching, can really only function fully if really the body is functioning well. Because we are joined to one another, and we need one another. But if we're not freed up as those who minister the word to do so, and we get ourselves ingratiated in a lot of other work, there'd be a limitation on how far we can get in our effectiveness in preaching and teaching, because we've got so many other things on our mind. So we need the freedom to be able to get into the word of God, and study the word, and meditate on the word, and we need time to pray and pray and pray and pray and then meditate and pray and then study and then pray and then ask the Lord for revelation. And then as the Lord speaks to us, we firstly have to put things right in our own lives. And we have to realize that we can't preach to others until we've firstly preached to ourselves. And then we, there's an ongoing process. But then if we're taken up with a million and other things... There's a limitation upon how far we can get. But we all need to function. And actually, you may feel, well, my part is not really seen, is not really understood. People think I'm not doing anything. Remember, friends, God sees everything. And when it comes to the final day, you're going to be before the Lord, not before men. And he will give according to what he has seen. He sees what you do in the secret place. He sees your work. He sees your prayer life. He sees your diligence. He sees it all. It's not passed by him somehow. He knows what you're doing. And how that particular work is freeing up others to be able to minister the word. Well, if you give a cup of water, you know what Jesus said. So, brothers and sisters, we need to function together. This pleased the whole multitude, and they chose these men whose names I struggled with earlier. Um, but in the particular verse that I want to focus on, it says that, uh, that the disciples said, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, beforehand, I mentioned about prayer. This time, I want us to home in now a little bit more on this phrase, the ministry of the word. 
And it's a very significant way of putting things. Because he doesn't say, but we must give ourselves to preaching the word. Or we must give ourselves to teaching the word. He says, but we will give ourselves continually to the ministry of the word. And as I mentioned before, the word ministry means service. When somebody teaches the word of God, it is a service. When somebody preaches the word of God, it is a service. Preaching and teaching is hard work. (laughs) It's not an easy thing to do. And especially since you know the Lord will ultimately judge us according to what we say. Preaching and teaching goes way beyond the speaking of the word. It involves the whole life. We are to serve in the teaching and preaching of the word of God. Those of us who lead. Somebody who's an elder, he may not necessarily have a preaching ministry, but nonetheless, he must be apt to teach. So there's got to be some kind of knowledge of the Word of God for anybody who's in eldership, and those that are specifically elders in handling the Word of God. The Scripture speaks about them particularly being given double honor. The Scripture speaks about that, because they're specifically sowing ministering in the Word of God. So elders are to be those that know the Word of God, that are led by the Spirit of God, and that are those who are well acquainted with the Scripture and have allowed God to get that Word into their lives. That's absolutely essential for a leader. As Paul said to Timothy, he said, take heed to yourself and the doctrine." Not just take heed to the doctrine, but take heed to yourself. You're going to be preaching the word of God. Timothy, take heed to yourself and the doctrine. And there's a lot of trouble that can come about when teachers do not take heed to themselves, but they do take heed to the doctrine. Because you get good doctrine, but ultimately there's not been that worked into the life. Now, when that happens, eventually there's going to be trouble. We must let God deal with us. Now, it doesn't mean that an elder is somebody who's... um, uh, To come into eldership, you need to be perfect. If that was the case, I could have never been an elder myself. But it just means there's a growing in grace. There's a growing in maturity. There's allowing God to deal with the flesh and things that are not of God. Very good. Well... Coming back to this, it's a service. We are to serve the Lord in the ministry of the word. Now, I want you to notice that after they all agree that this is what they should do, we find that there's seven men that they lay hands on to come into the work of overseeing the widows receiving their ministration, which, by the way, is ministry as well. Same word. I remember rightly. Check me up on it. And then he goes on, after they've done all that, 
Notice what the scripture goes on to say in verse 7. And the word of God increased. (laughs) Why was that? Because essentially men were put into the role of deacons and that freed the disciples to get back to the ministry and the word. And when we're functioning, friends, when, those, uh, when there, there's really the ministry of the word of God, there will be increase. Because God's word will not return back to him void. There's bound to be some form of increase. This is what it says here. And the word of God increased. Well, the word of God will increase as we minister the word of God. As we speak, there will be increase. We're not simply saying necessarily there'd be increase in numbers, but increase of the life of the Lord Jesus in the disciples of God. There will be fruit. There'll be a measure of increase in the life. That was bound to happen depending on the servants of God truly ministering the word. Now, what's the qualification for ministering the word? Or rather, let's put it a different way. How, are these, how do these disciples say that they're going to minister the word? Look at verse 4 again. But we will give ourselves continually. Now notice again, words are important. Notice again, he doesn't say, but we will give our time to prayer and to the ministry of the the word. Or we will give our effort. Or we will give our skill. They say, we will give ourselves. The nature of true ministry in the church, when there's true ministry, there's always involved with it the laying down of one's life. You can't minister the word without yourself being laid down. But we will give ourselves. Ministry, coming into the service of God, whether it be teaching, preaching, being an apostle and a prophet, certainly, pastor, whatever it be, whatever ministry God brings you into, and whatever work God has for you, he has a gift for every one of the church to come into. There'll be a requiring of yourself in it. Lay down your life. Come and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. There can be no effectiveness without the laying down of the life. There needs to be a giving of ourselves to what God has called us to. I think it's very interesting that in Acts 20, concerning ministry, we read something significant in regards to the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 20 and verse 23 Let's read from verse 22. And now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, 
save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I may finish my course with joy and the ministry, which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Notice he's saying that what is required in his being able to fulfill the ministry is not holding his life dear unto himself. If you and I hold our lives dear to ourselves, we will always choose ourselves instead of the ministry, instead of the service. It's by nature what we are. But if in our Christian life we come to the point where we lay ourselves down, we will get somewhere with God. Turn with me to Romans 12, please. It's a very famous passage of scripture, Romans chapter 12. Now notice verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Service has to do with presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You and I are not going to prove the will of God unless we allow the Lord to renew our minds by us being transformed. It's absolutely vital. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, rather. That is what we need. It's as our minds are renewed that we're transformed. But then he goes on to say something interesting. Think of that. That is the backdrop to what Paul goes on to say in verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one member one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Now notice he's speaking about how the members of the body are to function in their gifting. And that comes soon after is spoken already about presenting our bodies a living sacrifice. The sacrifice, the laying down of our lives, comes before us coming into our gifting. Otherwise, we'll use our gifting to the glory of the natural man. We need to really allow the Lord to deal with us. And that's why there's so many uh, people preaching false things, false gospels, and they're appealing to themselves rather than to God. Always beware. Listen in the ministering of the Word of God, whether the Word of God draws attention to the person preaching or to Christ. If they're always drawing attention to themselves about what they are doing, about what they've done all the time. I'm not saying you shouldn't give testimony to God, that's vital. But when the person themselves 
is the center of attention, then you know something of the flesh hasn't been dealt with. You know, I bought a 50 million pound, this, that or the other, and I just claimed it by faith. You know, it's all drawing attention to themselves. And God wants us to draw attention to Christ and him only. So the Lord wants us ourselves to be dealt with. And then he goes into how to use our gifting. Is your life dear unto you? It's one of the biggest challenges to our hearts. There's nobody who loves us more than ourselves. <laughs> we will just love ourselves left, right and center if we can. We will hug our flesh, preserve it, try to keep it, resurrect it, make it spiritual looking. But God wants us to realize that we have died with Christ. And it's no longer we who live. It's Christ. That, that your life, if you've been, listen to me please, if you've been born again of the Spirit of God, you don't own your life anymore. It's not yours. You actually belong to someone. Your life is actually the Lord's. He's purchased you with his own blood. You're his possession. That's a very challenging statement. It brings us into tremendous security, but tremendous responsibility as well. And God wants you to function within the body of the Lord Jesus. Don't get an inferiority complex on you. God wants every one of us in a place that is unique for us in the body of the Lord Jesus. I think that's tremendous. God has a work for you in this church that nobody else can fulfill. And all you need to do is ask him about it. Call on his name. Ask him to bring you into the fullness of it. It may be a seemingly a little work to begin with, but ultimately, if you are faithful in the small things, there'll be more coming your way. So may the Lord help us in these things. I want to just end by turning you back to Acts chapter Six, just one other thing to mention. Last thing to mention, that's chapter six. What we are called to minister as as those who are handle the word is not ourselves. We are not called to minister our own ideas. We're called to minister the word. The word of God, if that is ministered, there will be breakthrough. There will be much that comes out of that. What we find today is that there's those in the pulpit that are preaching psychology. And all kinds of ideas that appear to be spiritual, but actually are just carnal. It's not the word of God. The people are being fed a diet of something that appears to be the word of God, but it actually isn't the word of God. 
And that is not going to prepare us for the final days. We need the genuine word of God impacting upon all of our lives. If that doesn't enter into us, we're in trouble. Because we won't be ready, we'll be malnourished. You see, it's, we need more than just understanding certain doctrines. We need to be feeding on the word of God. And if we're not hearing it from the pulpit, where are we going to get it? Well, in a sense, we should all be meditating on the scriptures for ourselves. There is no doubt about that. But we need it taught and preached correctly from the pulpit. We need the word of God being taught. Now, what is the word of God? I mean, this is the, this is, how do you know what is the word of God and what isn't? What's the nature of the word of God? Well, there's some aspects about the word of God that will surprise you. I'll let the Bible tell you what the Bible says about itself. It says in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. You're dealing with something that is extremely capable of providing the will of God in your life. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. A two-edged sword is pretty sharp. But the word of God is sharper than any other one. And you remember in the book of Revelation, we've looked at it in the Bible study group, in chapter 1, it speaks about from the Lord's mouth comes a two-edged sword. In other words, his word. It's a two-edged sword. And you read in the book of Hebrews some significant things about that two-edged sword. It says in chapter 4 and verse 12 that the word of God is quick. It quickens, it's quick, it's sharp and powerful. It's quick, it's, it's, it's able to do so much in the life of the believer and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. The word of God separates things. And you'll find that when the word of God is preached, there be a separating that goes on. This is exactly what happened in the book of Genesis. Do you remember in the book of Genesis? You read about the darkness that was over the face of the deep. I mentioned this in the prayer meeting on Thursday. But in Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. There was an emptiness about it. Darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, he spoke, let there be light. And there was light, and God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. What divided the light from the darkness? It was the word of God. And this is exactly what the scriptures do. They divide light from darkness. They, they, they show what is of truth and what is of error. That's what the word does. 
And there should be a division that takes place. When, if there's been a place where the word of God has not been taught and somebody comes in and preaches the undiluted word of God, you can be sure there'll be a separation in that congregation. Absolutely certain. Between those that want to hear the word of God and those that don't. And then it goes on to say there's a dividing here between soul and spirit. I mean, we haven't got time to go into all these things. Giant and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God is sharp, it pierces, it divides. Jeremiah says it's like a hammer. Oh, we need the hammer of the word in these days to break the hardness that so penetrates our hearts, don't we? Only the Lord can do it. But praise God, when his word goes forth, there's light. There's revelation, the darkness has to go. Glory be to the name of the Lord. May the Lord help us, dear friends, to know the service of the word of God. I trust that we will have it preached here week after week after week after week. Only God can do it, but may he help us. So finally, brothers and sisters, I want to ask you, what are you giving yourself to? What has God called you to? It may be a particular service. Ask the Lord to bring you into the fullness of it. Be diligent in it. May the Lord help us to give ourselves continually. It's hard. Sometimes you can give yourself for a couple of days, but continually. It's not easy, is it? But the rewards are unparalleled. There's increase. There's increase. There's multiplication. There's more. This is what happens later, as we've mentioned, verse 7. And the word of God increased because the disciples gave themselves continually to prayer and to the ministry, the service of the word. May it be, dear friends, in the days ahead that you and I allow God to deal with us to such a point where we're not distracted by need from the very will of God and the purpose he has for us. Are you in the fullness of what God has for you? Brothers and sisters, please allow God to prepare you to get your heart. Don't think because you're busy you're being spiritual. In the verse that I mentioned with Acts chapter 20 and verse 23 and 24, just to finish with this, The Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Affliction will be part of the way. I promise you, you go the Lord's way and you will find affliction come your way. 
The word affliction there means a pressure. When you're in the will of God, there's a pressure that will come your way. Affliction, difficulty. But endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. The Lord will bring you through. And the affliction which the the enemy will seek to use to bring you down, the Lord will use to bring you through to higher ground with himself. Don't think because you're afflicted that means you're doing something wrong. (laughs) Now if we suffer for our sin, that's a different matter. But if I'm suffering for Christ's sake, then you are afforded the something of the anointing of God upon your life. Don't despise the affliction. Embrace it. Because if you embrace it, you're saying, I want to share with Jesus in his sufferings. Now, this is a very hallowed ground. So we dare not speak lightly of it. But there's very few that know what it is to tread the path of the afflictions of Jesus. But everyone who has, has a weight with God that they've earned. Are you willing for the cost? If you and I are willing for the cost, we will know a blessing in it which means we will never despise the affliction we've been through. And you'll come out with such a fragrance of the Lord Jesus on you that everybody will be wondering how you are as you are. Are you willing to get through to the place where you have the myrrh? We often see oh, to know the power of his risen life and to know him in his sufferings. You're going to be misunderstood. Jesus was. You're going to be rejected. Jesus was. You've got to learn not to fight back. Jesus didn't open his mouth. You've got to learn to be misunderstood. Jesus was misunderstood. It's not an easy road, is it? But isn't it worth it? The end will be eternal bliss and glory. And in the meantime, we will know a nearness with Jesus that will be beyond consolation. I've never known a man or woman, I've known a few now, I've never known a man or woman that has been willing to suffer with Jesus that didn't have something unique with God. Priceless. May the Lord help us. You see, if you suffer with Jesus, you won't be telling everybody about it. (laughs) Look at my sufferings. (laughs) I'm doing so well. I'm suffering with the Lord. Look at me. Look at me. No, it's just enough to share with Jesus in the quietness of your room.
the pleasure of his company. There's a closeness you can have with God in this. May the Lord help every one of us not to despise our afflictions. You're thinking, if I get this affliction out of my life, God will be able to use me. And the Lord says, no, I've put it there so that I can come through you to the blessing of others. Everything's upside down in the kingdom of God. May the Lord help us, brothers and sisters, not to despise what we go through, but allow the Lord to use it for his glory in our lives. May we give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word, if that's our ministry, or may we give ourselves to whatever the Lord has got for you. Maybe just a small thing right now. Just if there's a small thing God has got you in, don't despise the smallness of it. Allow God to use you. Be diligent in it. And there will be increase as there was in the days of Acts. Same principle applies. Let's finish with a word of prayer, shall we? Father, we want to thank you that you're a God who's even willing to let us share in your suffering. You're a God who loves us. And Lord, we praise you. Lord, we want to ask of you Help us to give ourselves to your work and not to be distracted by anything that would get us out the way of the purposes of God for our life. Give us a strength where necessary to say no in order that your will might be fulfilled in our lives and the body of Christ built up. We ask for your help and your favour, Father. And we thank you for our time together. We pray that you keep everything that has been of you. Anything out from myself, I pray your pardon and that you just erase it from us. Lord, keep us in what you have been saying to us, we pray. We ask this of you and commit ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.